Revelation chapter number 2, if you'll be turning there in your Bible, Revelation chapter number 2, and when you find it, if you can, let's stand together and honor the reading of God's Word. Revelation chapter 2, all the way to the back of your Bible, ought to be an easy one for you to find. Sometimes it's embarrassing when the preacher calls out some of those minor prophets and you can't find them. They, they hide from us. So this one's an easy one to find today. Revelation chapter number 2. We're going to pick up in verse number 1 and we'll read down to about verse number 5. And uh, then we'll pray and let you be seated. A very simple thought this morning we're going to walk through. And I pray you'll allow God to do what he desires in the message today. Revelation chapter 2. Let's pick up in verse number 1. Notice the red letters. This is Jesus speaking here. The Bible says, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars." And has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, watch the mood change in verse number four. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Let's pray together. Lord, I do thank you for the wonderful singing. And Father, I'm thankful this morning that what we sing about is more than just a feeling that we have in our flesh, but something, Father, that stirs us in our spirit because we're saved and, Lord, we can relate to the goodness of God and relate to the fact that we will see you face to face one day. I pray that, that there's one here today, Lord, who doesn't know for sure that they're saved and they will see you face to face and spend eternity in heaven with you. You'll let them know that today and they'll be saved. Father, for the saved this morning, I pray you would use the testimony of the church that we just read about to challenge us as your people to be what you would have us be, to do what you've called us to do. And Lord, during the invitation time, help us respond as you will lead us to, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, as I was sitting on the couch and warming myself by the real fire this time, I was reading through Revelation chapter number two and uh, looking at all of the letters that Christ wrote to the churches here in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter number 3. And before we get into the message this morning, I want you to know what a blessing it is that an almighty God would take the time to, to speak to us as man. He takes his time to write the letters to the churches that are here because he knows who they are, he knows what they are, and he wants them to become what they are not. Now, one of the things we're going to learn for sure this morning, and I hope the Holy Spirit will bear witness to it better than I can, is that God wants his people to know where they stand with him. God knows where we stand this morning, and there's no doubt about that in his mind. God doesn't need convincing. Oftentimes, if you're anything like me, I'm the one that God has to convince about where I stand. The reason he's writing the letter to the church at Ephesus in chapter number two is to let them know where they stand in his eyes. And by the way, that's the only eyes that matter. We are all human and we all have a temptation and the very good capability to start living according to the expectations of others and the status quo and what society deems as appropriate. And sometimes those things are not all bad, but understand the only opinion that matters is the one that God already knows about us. 
And it's important that we know where we stand with God and that we listen to the Holy Spirit of God when he lets us know so that we can get where he wants us to be because as was sung about in the choir this morning, he's who we will stand before. He's the one that really matters. I'm glad this morning in one way that there is nothing hid from God. I'm glad that God can see every bit of me and every part of me down to my heart, and he can x-ray my heart. He can even x-ray my emotions and my motives. Aren't you glad? They say, well, I don't like God being able to see all of that. Well, you better be thankful that he can because, because God can see it. He can point it out, and the reason he points it out is so we can get it fixed. It's hard to have an operation on a cancer that you don't know is there, but thank God for the technology we have today. We've been talking a lot about Miss Janelle and how the Lord blessed her with her surgery and how we have the technology to go in that MRI, and that MRI was able to point out the tumor that was there on top of her brain, and she was able to get that fixed and able to get that problem resolved, but they first had to see the problem. Now, folks, I don't always like that God can point out my flaws, and I don't always like the fact that God does, through his Holy Spirit, convict me of who I'm not, but understand God does it because he loves us. If the Holy Spirit of God were by chance, I mean, it could happen in a church in America today, that the Holy Spirit might convict you of something today, don't resist that. God's pointing out to you something that's going to harm you in the end because sin, when it is finished, the Bible says, bringeth forth death. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. That means it's going to happen just the way God says it's going to happen. So we've got to learn to agree with God. And if God puts his finger on something in our life that is not right, let's agree with him as soon as possible that we can get rid of what's going to hurt us and our families and our church and our country in the long run. So we read in in Revelation chapter number 2, we see kind of a report card, if you will, for the church at Ephesus. It's kind of a scary thought for those of us who graduated high school and college to think that we still get report cards, but we do. God keeps a running tab of who we are and how we live. God knows very much how we stand before him today. And he's telling the church at Ephesus, look, you've got some pretty good things going on. Notice what he says in verse number 2. I know thy works. We could go ahead and address that letter to us this morning as well. God knows. I know thy works. Notice what he says, and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. I mean, God's telling them, you got some good things going on in your church, and it's a blessing that God kind of uses that, uh, that compliment sandwich to help us out sometimes. Now, he's going to tell them of what he wants to do at the end, but in in the beginning, he tells them what they're doing right. In the middle, he's going to sandwich something that's not going right. But notice, God says, you've got some good things going here. But then he says in verse number four, nevertheless, it's kind of like as a kid, I'd bring my report home home to mom and dad, and I said, well, look at that PE grade, (laughs) 98. (laughs) You know, got a good one in there, and any of the classes that were taught by a coach, I usually did pretty good. In, and then you got down there toward the math, the pre-algebra. I remember pre-algebra and algebra, uh, seventh and eighth grade. And boy, the lowest grade I ever got on my report card was fifth grade, and it was in math, and it was a 73. And I'll never forget sitting on that blue couch in the living room of our house, how grave of a situation that was as I tried to show them how good I was at PE, but they began to see the math score was not up to snuff. Now, can I tell you this morning, God does the same thing with us. God sees what we do right. Aren't you glad? The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. God sees the good that we do as well. Look, we don't need to treat God like the police we do sometimes. Be good or the police are going to get you. The police are not the bad people, 
or at least are the good guys, and God sees the good, and God sees the bad. That's because he's a just God. But in spite of what Ephesus has going right for them, they have some things going not so right for them. So here's what we need to understand this morning real quickly. The message is very simple. I'm going to give you four things in just a moment. We're going to walk right through it. But understand that what we're doing right is no excuse for what we're not doing right. Okay, The things that we have got right in our life, the things that are where they need to be, can't cancel out the things that we're not doing that we should be doing. You know, this is not one of those plus and minus categories to where if I have more pluses and minuses, then I'm pleasing to God. No, God is still displeased with the minuses. Doesn't matter how many pluses we have. We need to understand that as God points out this morning the things that are not right, and God shows us things that are not pleasing to him, understand he's doing that as preventative maintenance. He's trying to show us what can rob us of all of the pluses. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 5 that a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. What does that mean? It's referring to sin. Sin will spread through our entire life, and what we had as pluses, we can lose the pluses by not taking care of the minuses. What if I were to come to you this morning and tell you, if I were a doctor, and I'm not, and I didn't even stay at a Holiday Inn last night, so I can't even pretend to be a doctor, but I were to come to you as a doctor this morning, and I say, look, I want you to know you've got cancer in your pinky toe. Like, oh, okay, as long as it's not in my kidneys, you know, as long as it's not in my heart, as long as it's not in my lung, it's just my pinky toe, no, I, I don't need to even worry about it. I'll guarantee you that would not be your attitude. You would want to get that cancer taken out of your pinky toe because you know it can spread from your pinky toe to the rest of your body. Now, it's the same way with things that are not right before God. We've got to understand that there is no sin that is insignificant to God. In our eyes this morning, there is some sin that's insignificant. That's just a little white lie. By the way, God did not coin that phrase. That's a man-made phrase. We invented that. There is no such thing as a little white lie. Why? Because a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. So this morning, we need to know where we stand before God. And if God shows us this morning, there's some things, uh, verse number four in our life. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. He's showing us that because he loves us and because the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter two that God is rich in mercy. Aren't you glad? Mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is when God withholds from us what we do deserve. God is holding back the effects of sin in our life. He's merciful, but we must deal with the things that God points out. So in Revelation chapter 2, the church at Ephesus, he shows them in verse 4. Watch what he says. I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Now, God's telling them that they're not where they need to be, but he's telling them that so that they can be restored to where they need to be. Aren't you glad this morning that our God is a God that specializes in restoration? God doesn't want to leave us the way that he found us. God does not want to leave us with something against us. God doesn't want you to walk out these doors this morning with him having something against you. He wants to restore you to a right relationship with him. Whether you're lost and need to be saved, you can do that through Jesus Christ. Whether you're saved this morning and out of the will of God, God wants you to have a restored relationship with you that you can walk with him as you used to. I'll tell you, Chip and Joanna Gaines have nothing on God when it comes to restoration. I like old Chip and Joanna and how they restore those houses, but look, God is the author of restoration. 
That's the whole reason for Jesus coming was restoration. He could have just left us and left us with something against us. But he says, hey, I love them. For God so loved the world that he sent Christ, why? To restore us. And I'm glad this morning, listen, no matter where you're at, whether you're lost in the deepest, darkest depths of sin, or you're a Christian that's backslidden far out of the will of God, and by the way, it does happen. Not as often as we admit to it, but it happens, I assure you. We can be right with God, but here's what we must understand. We've got to follow God's road to restoration. That's what we're going to preach on this morning. God's road to restoration. And I don't know what may need restoring in your life today. I believe all over America, homes are in need of restoration today. I mean, our homes, look, folks, we understand, said it enough, that the foundation of the church foundation of the country you you look at so much look the family is right there the home is right there if the home disintegrates the church it all falls apart so the devil's attacking our homes i believe our homes need restoring this morning maybe this morning your heart needs restoring maybe your joy needs restoring maybe your victory needs restoring this morning maybe your power needs restoring well i believe god shows us in revelation chapter 2 he shows us his roadmap to restoration, and he wants this church to be restored, and he wants us to be restored. So let's follow the pattern, if we could. Look back to verse 2. The Bible says, I know thy works and thy labors. So God knows who they are. But he tries to bring something to our attention in verse number 4 that almost seems that they're, they're not quite aware of. He says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Because thou hast left thy first love. Now look, in order for us to be restored, we, ha- we, we need to be recognizing what has caused us to be drifted away from God. So he shows them in verse number four, he says, because thou hast left thy first love. You're going to have very little motivation to get back right with God if you don't realize there's something wrong between you and God. This is where we thank God for conviction. I told you the other day, I think I told you, or I told the kids in chapel, I took my wife on a, a quick one-day trip to see the Pelicans game, and uh, it was a surprise. Man, she was surprised. I love surprises. My wife is not big on surprises, but I love surprising, you know, so uh, kind of conflict from time to time. And so I bought Pelicans tickets, and I got a hotel reserved. I even found a website where you can reserve your parking space uh, in the parking garage. So I did all of this stuff. And we get in the car, and we pull out of the school parking lot, and we're driving down 49, and she opens the envelope, and she's so excited we're going to a Pelicans game. I said, I got all this taken care of, and we're talking back and forth, and we're going to go down 49, get on 98, and get on 59, and go south. Well, we're so excited about the trip, we're just talking, that we just keep on trucking down 49. <laughs> just a few minutes later, I see the sign that says Wiggins. <laughs> Something clicked. Wiggins is not on the way to New Orleans. Oh, and now, oh, now I have this problem. I have something welling up on the inside that I hate to tell my wife. We've gone 30 miles in the wrong direction. So before I could get back to the path that I needed to be on, number one, there was a realization of where I was at. There first had to be a realization of where I was at. God's trying to show the church at Ephesus where they're at. He says in verse 4, Because thou hast left thy first love. Look, he's trying to convince them they're not where they need to be. Now, before we can be restored in a right relationship with God, whether we're lost and to be saved or saved and have backslidden away from God, before we can be restored, there must first be a realization of where we're at. 
We've got to be honest. And let me tell you, it was very, very hard for me to swallow my pride and tell my wife we're going the wrong way. I can be spiritual for about three to five second burst. For about three to five seconds, I just looked at her and I said, we're going the wrong way. She says, what do you mean? I says, we're going toward Gulfport. We need to be going toward New Orleans. Now, before I could swallow my pride, I had to realize where I was at so that I could get back to where I needed to be. Now, folks, I'm thankful this morning that God knows where we're at, and God knows when we're not where we need to be, and God wants us to know so that we can get back in a right relationship with him. But we got to realize where we're at. What's interesting is I had the tickets for the game purchased. It was going to be Zion's first game in New Orleans. I'm glad we went because he still hadn't played in New Orleans since he's been hurt. I had the tickets paid for, the hotel paid for, I had the parking space paid for, and I even had an itinerary. I mean, I was going to be a good husband. We went to Cafe Du Monde. Man, we got beignets, powdered sugar all over our face. We're just having a ball. I had all of these things going right, but I was going the wrong way. Can I tell you, the, the one decision to go the wrong way was putting in jeopardy everything else I had right. And can I tell you the fact that Ephesus had left their first love, that one wrong decision was jeopardizing all the other good things in verse 2 and verse 3. So God loved them enough to let them know where they were at. And he says, I want you to know you're not where you belong. Now notice how they got there in verse number 4. This is tough. He says, nevertheless, I have someone against thee because thou hast, watch the next word, left. Thou hast left. The word left means to leave or depart. God's telling the church at Ephesus they're not where they belong, and it's because they left him. Isn't it easy to blame other people? I love to blame my wife and say, look, if you hadn't been talking to me so much, I would, I would, we were on the right road, and we'd be on the way to New Orleans right now. But ultimately, I was the one driving the car. It was my decision to go in the direction that we were going. And before I could get back on the road to where I needed to be, I had to realize where I was at, and I had to realize the reason that I was there is because I was the one who left the wrong direction. Now, let me tell you this morning, there will be no restoration in your life, your home, your victory, your joy. There's going to be no restoration in your walk with God, your relationship with God, if you can't first realize where you're at. Now, here's the good news. I don't have to be the one to tell you, and I'm thankful for that. I am so thankful that when it comes to being a pastor, it's not my job to go to every person and say, you're not right, you're not right, you're not right. The lifespan of pastors would be very short if that was part of our job requirement. Very, very short. I'm thankful that, look, there's this being called the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God is going to let you know this morning exactly where you're at. You can, look, you can fool me. It's easy. Ask my wife and daughter. They can fool me all the time. If They don't fool me all the time. I said, they could fool me all the time. She's looking at me like, what? No, she doesn't, but she could. My daughter gets those big puppy dog eyes. And Mom says, you know, go to your room. And she's looking up at Dad and just blinking and... It doesn't take much. Look, if you fooled me, there's not much of a trophy for that. You might get a cardboard cookie. There's not a whole lot you can get rewarded for that, but you're not fooling the one that matters. I'm not fooling the one that matters. God knows where we stand. He says, verse 2, I know thy works. He tells him in verse number 4, you're not where you're supposed to be, and it's because you left. Notice what he says in verse 4. Thou hast left. If we don't get to the place where we recognize where we're at, then there's no hope of restoration. 
Folks come to the office for counseling. Folks call my phone for counseling. I'm thankful for people who ask for counsel. Everybody needs counsel sometimes. Amen. Whether we admit it or not, everybody needs counsel. Ask my dad. I ask him counsel from time to time. Ask Brother Brent. I'll ask him counsel from time to time. We all need counsel. And by the way, in the multitude of counsel, the Bible says there's safety. Safety. Folks, folks come in for counseling. Folks call for counseling. It doesn't take very long to realize whether I can help them or not. By that they're not willing to admit where they're at. If you can't admit where you're at, then I can't help you get where you need to be because you're living in what we call denial. And this morning, I believe the church of the living God in America, we're living in denial of where we're at. All we need to do is look around at the world around us and we'll realize we're not where we're supposed to be. If we were where we were supposed to be, our country would look a little bit different. Because 2 Chronicles 7.14 says the problem and the burden of responsibility lies in the hearts of my people. If my people. I want you to turn somewhere with me real quick. Back in the Old Testament, Psalms 51. Psalms number 51. You know, you've had six months to get to know me. And uh, if you pay close attention, you realize my first point is usually the longest. And they get shorter as we go. How many of y'all realize that? Realize that? Amen. Amen. So we're, we're heading in the right direction, okay? Psalms 51. There we go. Psalms 51. I want you to see something real quick. Psalms 51, look down at verse number 12. Very familiar passage of Scripture, but I want you to see the context of this real quick. Psalms 51, verse number 12. Here's David. He's praying to God, crying out to God. He says this, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Now, what is David asking God for? Restoration. David says, I need my joy restored. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. So David's crying out to God, says, my joy's gone. My joy's not what it used to be. This is what God's telling Ephesus. You're not where you used to be. And David's crying out and says, I want that joy back. Oh, I know the feeling of being away from God and just begging for that joy back. You lose your whistle. You know, in the need how boy folks write with God, they just kind of sing going down the hall, whistle going down the hall, and after a while you lose your whistle, you lose your song, you lose your joy. But here's the context of verse number 12. Back at the beginning of chapter 51, there's a heading above verse number one in my Bible that explains exactly what this psalm is about. It says this, David's plea for forgiveness and restored fellowship with God. Listen close. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Now, you need to understand the context of verse 51. Understand the context of his cry for restoration. It was after Nathan the prophet came into David. You see, David stole another man's wife and murdered him. And David's just living like nothing ever happened. David's living like he's okay. And then the preacher comes to him, and he says, David, you've sinned against God. David, David was at a place where he didn't realize where he was at. And the preacher comes, and he says, look, God leads the preacher, by the way. I'm glad David didn't shoot Nathan. All right, so if I ever have to come and talk to you, please don't shoot me. I promise you, I'm not going to come talk to you unless God tells me to come talk to you, because I don't like coming and talking to people about things that they might shoot me over. Go figure that If I ever have to come and talk to you, understand it's because God puts you on my heart and I love you and I want you to become all that God wants for you. 
And I'm coming to let you know that little leaven is going to leaven the whole lump. I'm coming to let you know, hey, this is where you're at. And David finally cried out for restoration after he realized where he was at. Now, folks, if we had enough spiritual courage this morning, we'd be down at an old-fashioned prayer altar doing the invitation, and we would ask God to show us exactly where we're at. Why? Because so that we could have restoration. The problem this morning is so often we want to ignore it or deny it, but until you realize where you're at, there's going to be no restoration. Your home will not be restored. You keep denying it and ignoring it. There's going to be no restoration. There's no restoration between you and God if we can't come to the place where we agree with what God already knows. God knows where we stand. I think about Nehemiah when he went back to rebuild the walls at Jerusalem. Nehemiah rides up to Jerusalem. The walls are broken down. The gates are burned with fire. It's a horrific sight. Now, I want you to imagine Nehemiah riding up and saying, well, it's not so bad. It's not so bad. You know, a little, little dusting here and, you know, maybe a little, you know, call Chip and Joanna in and they can kind of fix this up a little bit and not so bad. Look, there was no point in Nehemiah defending all of the rubble. The only way the walls of Jerusalem are going to get back up is for Nehemiah to realize where they were at. In Nehemiah chapter 1, he prays to God. He says, I and my father have sinned. He said, the reason the things are the way they are is because we're not right, and they confess that. I love the wording that the Bible uses in verse number 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Watch the next two words. Because thou... One of the most difficult parts of, uh, of being restored to God is real, realizing where we're at. And one of the biggest problems when realizing where we're at is confronting the one that drove us there. It was hard for me to tell my wife, we're going the wrong way. I could taste the beignets. I could taste them. I'm so excited, got everything taken care of, rolling down the road. And then realized we're going the wrong way. And finally, I just spit it out. I said, we're going the wrong way. I was so excited, instead of turning on 98 to go down 59, I just kept going down 49. So we had to cut through on that cut through road at Wiggins and go all the way to Poplarville and finally get back where we were going. But I had to admit, look, I took us the wrong way because thou. There is the person to blame in verse number four, because thou. Anytime we have destruction and need restoration, look, we need not find other people to point our fingers at. It's because of thou. Because of thou. I would love to be able to find people and write letters to people. That's what, I, that's what I used to say I was going to do when I was mad at people. I'm going to write a letter. Or now, you know, send an email. And now we just send texts to people. And, man, I wish there was a way that we could send texts to people without them knowing who we were. You know, we just blame everybody else for our problems. But I'll tell you, my biggest problem is verse 4, because thou. We were talking with Brother John the other day, something funny. I have to confess things from time to time to people. And I feel better when you confess things, don't we? And told her the time my wife was expecting uh, years ago, I guess oh, about 13 years ago, and we're sitting in bed one night, and she's sitting over here reading one of those, you know, what to expect while you're expecting books, and I'm sitting over here cleaning a gun, you know, because I got it all figured out as far as fatherhood, so I didn't need to read a book, and so I'm sitting, I'm joking, I'm sitting there, and I'm cleaning a nine millimeter pistol in bed, man, I'm getting it all cleaned up and all this, and pulling the hammer back, and I had the clip ejected far enough where the bullet could not go up, I thought, and as I'm sitting there doing that, laying in bed, all of a sudden the hammer goes back. <laughs> My wife's first reaction was, <gasps> did that just go off? I wanted to say, no, you're dreaming. It didn't really happen. I look up, and there's a hole in our ceiling. Y'all remember that, mom and dad? 
My brother lived next door. My phone rang. This is no joke. I picked up the phone. I said, hello. This is exactly what he said. Did you hurt yourself? First thing out of his mouth. Is that what he said? Did you hurt yourself? Oh. What do you say? I meant to do that. So now I'm up on the roof in my pajama pants and a t-shirt and a flashlight looking for a hole. My brother says, what happened? And I said, there's a possum out in the backyard. <laughs> yes, I lied. Why? Because it was hard to admit the stupid thing that I had done. I'm safe with a gun. We can go hunting together. I promise you. I won't hurt you. Some of you just wrote me off. You're not going to invite me hunting this year. Ah, I, sometimes I tell too much behind the pulpit. I'm sitting there. My wife's crying. I think she's going to go into labor. She's crying like we're okay. It's just a hole in the roof. I'll go check it out here in just a minute. You know what I had to do? I just had to own it. Oh, I just had to own it. There's nothing else I could do. I mean, I could not conjure up a good excuse. There was a spider on the ceiling. I had to own it. As much as I wanted to excuse it, there's a hole in the ceiling and a, a scared wife because of thou. I had to own it. Now, folks, can I tell you, the only way we can get to the place of restoration is we've got to own it. When God says, I know where you're at, you're not where you need to be, and it's because of thou. Quit blaming everybody else. We've got to take ownership that when we're not where we need to be, it's our fault. Why? Because leaving is a choice, verse 4. Because thou hast left. Leaving is a choice. In just a few minutes, many of you will make the choice to leave this place. It'll be a choice. Now, you're welcome to stay until tonight. You're more than welcome to stay and pray for the service. I'm sure we would appreciate it very much. But most of you will choose to leave. I will too, by the way. You see, owning up to what God knows about us is something we just have to choose to do. And we're choosing to agree with God. I'll give you this real quick before I give you the second thing. My dad had one of, his, uh, one of his foremen come to our church service years ago when my dad first started preaching. His name was Bobby, and uh, Bobby was lost, and he came and sat in our church service while my dad's preaching. Dad's up there preaching about, for all have sinned. He's sitting right over here, and, and Bobby was talking out loud during the service, uh, agreeing with the preaching. For all have sinned. Oh, yeah, he's talking about me. He said, the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. Oh, I know that. He's talking out loud. After the service, Bobby got saved. Can I tell you what helped Bobby get saved and restored relationship with God Almighty? It was the fact that he was willing to say, yeah, that's me. He didn't go, yeah, that's my wife. Yeah, for all have sinned, that's her. Oh, yeah, there's none righteous. Oh, you're exactly right. She's not. No, he just kept saying, you remember that? He just kept saying, yeah, that's me. Oh, yeah, you got me. Oh, yeah. He just nonstop. He was willing to do something a lot of us are not willing to do. And that's why we don't have restoration this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 32, the Bible says, turn not to the right hand or to the left. Can I tell you why we need restoration this morning? If we walked in the way of obedience, we wouldn't have to walk the road of restoration. But because we don't walk the way of obedience, then we have to be restored to God. Number one this morning, the road to restoration begins with realization of where we're at. He says, you've left. Let's keep reading real quick. Verse four, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. So watch those last three words and then watch the first word of verse 5. Because thou hast left thy first love, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. 
So here's what's interesting. God helps them to realize where they are at, number two, by helping them remember where they were. He says, thou hast left thy first love. You see, he's comparing their current position with a place that they used to be in the past. This is a great way this morning to be able to know whether or not you're in need of restoration when you compare where you are now to where you used to be. He says, thou hast left thy first love. He says, remember. I'm going to tell you something I'm guilty of this morning, and you may be like me. I hope you're not, but you may be like me. From time to time, I am lulled into accepting a lower standard of Christian living. I get lulled into that. Right, you know, I'm not what I used to be, but I'm definitely not like that guy. You know, I'm not as close to God as I used to be. I don't walk with God like I used to, but you know what? That guy over there hadn't been to church in four weeks, and I start accepting where I'm at instead of repenting of where I'm at. Notice he says, thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Can I tell you, it's easier to accept the way things are if you forget the way things are supposed to be. It's easy. By the way, that's why it's important somebody preach the truth in America today. If, we're not, if, look, if we don't preach the standard the way things are supposed to be, then how on earth are people going to know where they're at? They're going to say, you know what, I'm pretty good, but the standard is not my neighbor. The Bible says we compare ourselves to ourselves. That's unwise. We must compare ourselves with an unmovable standard of what thus saith the Lord. That's why we preach the truth of the word of God, so we can know where we stand. God says, I want you to remember where you used to be. He uses the term first love. He says, I want you to remember the fervor that you used to have. Remember when you were dating your spouse? I hope it's just as strong or stronger today as it was when you first started seeing each other. But I hate to say a lot of times it's not, is it? Man, you're seeing them. It doesn't matter what they want. You're going to go get it. It doesn't matter how cold it is outside. You're going to get the the ice cream. It doesn't matter what they want to eat when they're expecting. You're going to go find it. Remember my wife, she craved barbecue one night in Carson, Mississippi. There's not a whole lot of places to find barbecue. I found some. Why? Man, man, we just got married, and man, we're just, our love is close, and there's a fervor, there's a passion about it, man. It doesn't matter what she wants. She gets it, and now it's hard for her to get me to take out the garbage. What happens? We start accepting a lower standard of affection. This is what Ephesus did. He said, you've left your first love. Remember when you used to have fervor? Remember when you were so willing? You would do whatever God wanted to do. If God called you to go to the mission field, you'd just sell it all. And now we won't even give up more than one service a week to God. He said, you've left that first love. You don't have that affection that you used to. And here's what I believe happened to the church at Ephesus. They're a good church. I'm not knocking them. Watch. They were going through the motions without the right emotion. They're going through the motions without the right emotion. You know what emotion involves? Relationship. That's what emotion means. Hey, I have a relationship. I'm attached to that. In Ephesus, look what they're doing in verse number two. They have work and labor and patience. They can't bear them which are evil. Verse three, they've borne and had patience for my name's sake. They're doing all of these things. They're going through the right motions without the right emotion. They've drifted away from God. Now, folks, you see this happen in marriages all the time, but it happens in church. I hate to see a marriage going through the motions. We're just checking those boxes because that's what married people do, and we're missing out on the affection that we should have in our marriage. We do that with God. 
Psalm chapter one, number 137, we read about Israel when Israel was taken captive and the Bible says that they required a song of them. They said, we want you to sing a song. Sing us one of the songs of Zion. And what did they say in Psalms 137? How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? They lost their song. They lost their song. What happened? They got away from God. Now, folks, let me tell you, it happens in our walk with God all the time. That's why you got to realize where we're at. And the way that you can realize where you're at is compare it to where you used to be. Remember when you do anything for God. You couldn't wait to come to church. You listened to preaching. You even prayed over your food at Burger King. You're really spiritual. Now it's kind of hard to, for us to even utter an amen from time to time to the truth of God's word. Why? Because we've, we've got to a place where we're going through the motions without the proper emotions. One thing I hear from folks a lot, and I hate to hear it, I really do. People say all the time, well, I'm okay. I'm okay, and we're okay. And I used to try to fight and convince people that they're not okay. But here's what I want you to understand this morning. I want to come from a different angle. God did not go through all that God went through so that you could live okay. All right? God did not go through all that he went through to send his son to live and to die, to rise again, to overcome death, hell, and the grave, to defeat sin, that we could have victory just so that we can live a life that's okay. God wants us to live a life. The Bible says that your joy may be okay. No, that's the Muslims. Look, our joy ought to be full. That's what the Bible tells us. John 10, he says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That doesn't sound like an okay existence to me. God wants us to have a life and a testimony that reflects the work of the almighty God. When people look at your life and the abundance of your life, and they see your joy, and your joy is full in spite of the circumstances of society, they're going to ask you, where did you get that? Just a few, not very, very long from now, I'll be heading out on vacation, and one of my favorite parts of vacation is the food. I love walking around Disney World and just eating food. Your souvenirs are stuffed animals and t-shirts. Mine is turkey legs and Mickey ear ice creams. It always goes back to food. You knew it would. I'll be walking around there. I remember the first time I ever saw somebody eat one of those Henry VIII turkey legs. I'm thinking to myself, where did you get that? After a while, it weighed on me. It just started gnawing on me a little bit. You know, I'm sitting there looking at the hot dog that I got, and I'm thinking, oh, that guy had a turkey leg. Finally, I've tracked down somebody that's got one of them turkey legs. Where did you get this, man? He said, you see that long line over there about 100 yards deep? Yeah, that's where I got it from. I go stand in line. Why? It looked that good. I wanted one. Wouldn't it be neat if your joy was like that turkey leg? Or your victory was like that turkey leg? Or your abundant life was like that turkey leg? Where people come up to you and say, where'd you get that? And all of a sudden, I mean, it's a fastball right down the middle. You know it's coming. You take the opportunity and smash it over the wall and say, well, it's because of Jesus. He's the one who came that I might have life and have it more abundantly. That's who I got it from. But the sad thing is people look at our life and we're still holding the hot dog. That's just okay. God, listen, God did not come to give us an abundant life and a joy that would be full and victory where we're more than overcomers so that we could have an okay marriage. God wants it to be full. God wants it to have life. The sad thing is this morning we will not admit where we're at because we will not remember where we're we're from and what God did for us. Second Timothy chapter one, the Bible says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That's what God gives us. Power, love, sound mind. I mean, folks, people ought to be able to look at that in our life and want what we have. 
The problem is we'll be satisfied being okay. Real quickly, in Joshua chapter 7, the Bible tells us when Israel went to fight little old Ai, the little old town, they sent 3,000 men in to fight Ai. They came back, defeated, 36 men lost their lives. The Bible says that Joshua rent his clothes and bowed before God, and he asked God, why? He says, God, I remember the power God, I remember your presence. God, I remember your provision. And God, you've been with us. And now, God, we have no power. We don't have your presence. We don't have your provision. He says, God, what's the matter? God says, there's sin in the camp. There's sin in the camp. The reason you're not what you used to be is because something has got in your life that's robbing you of your power, your provision, in the presence of God. Don't you remember how good it was? To walk with God. Can I ask you this? What's the high water mark in your spiritual life? Every one of us right now, if you're saved, every one of us, every one of us have a place in our mind that we can go back to when we were clicking on all cylinders for the cause of Christ. Every one of us can. You were not afraid to witness. You were looking forward to being in church. You couldn't get enough of the word of God. You knew it when the slightest sliver came between you and God, and you had to get it right. You remember what that was like. God says, okay, I want you to compare what that was like to where you are now. And if we're not there now, if we're not at that high water mark now, something has come between us and our God. The Bible says in Isaiah, your sins and your iniquities have separated between you and your God. That's what sin will do. You say, well, are you calling me, me a sinner? Absolutely, because I am too, and the Bible says we all are. But if you can't admit where you're at by comparing where you've been, then I hate to tell you, you'll never have restoration. Verse 5, look what it says. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Here's what God's saying, okay? Look where you're at. Look where you were. And figure out what caused you to fall. Now, I use that word fall very carefully. Because you notice verse 3, they left. And then they fell. I hear a lot of people say, I just fell into sin. No, you didn't. You swan dived into it. Oh, I just fell into it. No, you didn't. You got to run and start. You dove right over in there. It wasn't no falling into sin. They fell after they left. So watch God's design. This is is beautiful. God says, I want you to realize where you're at. And the way you do that is remember where you were. Now watch, he's fixing to give us a prescription on how to remedy if things are not where they need to be this morning so we can be restored. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent. Number three, God's roadmap to restoration is repentance of what brought us here. Repentance of what brought us here. Now, here's what's interesting. God is dealing with the problem, not the symptom. Okay? God's dealing with the problem of Ephesus, not the symptoms of Ephesus. You see, what do you mean? Repentance begins and is a matter of the heart. That's where repentance has got to start. Look, you can go handcuff somebody all day long and you have not changed that person. You can change their conduct, but you have not changed their character. God doesn't just want to change the conduct of Ephesus. He wants to change the character of Ephesus, and that's what repentance is. Repentance is a change of heart. It's where we're, our heart and our mind have turned from what has caused us to leave God behind. I believe there's something that's really a lack in America today, and that's preaching on repentance. 
turning from what is causing us to be in the situation that we're in. By the way, that is, I know they'll never pass a law on repentance. I know they wouldn't do no good if they did. But what our country needs tonight or this morning is repentance. That's what 2 Chronicles 7.14 is getting at. I'm trying to get all these people to quit doing all this bad stuff. No, 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 that's not the answer. The quit doing all the bad stuff, the repentance of conduct will follow the repentance of our character that begins in our heart. Because Matthew 12, 34, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can tape somebody's mouth shut, and sometimes it'd be fun, wouldn't it? They got this new stuff that's like shrink wrap on a handle. I know some people I would love to use that on. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but... You can, look, you can take somebody's mouth shut all day long and you've not changed who they are. Who they are and the change that happens in their life needs to start in their heart. That's what true repentance is. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn. That's repentance. Repentance is a turning of the heart. It will lead into the turning of the conduct. But it's got to begin in here. I know people who've tried to turn over a new leaf and call that salvation. Turning over a new leaf is not salvation. I'm going to try to do better. That's good. You ought to try to do better. But you'll never do better without being, being changed from the inside out. I believe that's what we need. I think we'd have a whole lot less programs out there today if we just had a genuine change of heart. Proverbs 28, 13, the Bible says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. Quoted all the time. The Bible says, but he that confesseth it, watch this, what is confessing our sin? It's saying, I know where I'm at, guilty, because of thou, it's because of me. Confess it, and then what does it say? Forsake it. That means turn from it, okay? That means turn from it. We preach a very cheap grace today that doesn't include repentance. Why is there so much repentance in the word of God? A change of life. You say, well, my life will change, I'm going to try to do better. You'll never do better if you don't change in here first. That's what he's telling Ephesus. He says, I want you to repent. I don't believe there's going to be any restoration of your heart, your home, your victory, your joy if you cannot first turn from what is costing you your joy and your power, as he did in Joshua. Psalms chapter 38, I'll give you this real quick before the last thing. Psalms chapter 38, Psalms 38 and 51, we read David's repentance, if you will, his contrite spirit over sinning with Bathsheba. Psalms chapter number 38, we read where David goes to God and he says this, I am now ready to halt. I'm now ready to halt. Here's what David is saying. If you read Psalms 38 and you read Psalms 51, the price that David was paying for being away from God had become so costly, so costly. He says, I'm done. I'm done. This is costing me too much. I remember, look, this is the same David that killed Goliath. I couldn't help but wonder this morning when David is sitting there after sinning with Bathsheba and committed murder, committed adultery, if all of a sudden David didn't start thinking about 1 Samuel 17 when he killed Goliath. If I was David, that'd be my high watermark. That'd be my high watermark. Man, remember I went down there. You know how some of you do your high school football days? (laughs) Good old days. There is a life after high school football, by the way. I'm just going to throw that out there, and college football. David looks back and says, man, that was, God guided that rock. They were running through the streets, and they were singing songs about David killing his 10,000s. And David says, now look at me. 
I've killed one of my best men, one of my mighty men, stole his wife, and I've given the enemies of God great opportunity to blaspheme. David says, I'm not where I need to be. Finally, in Psalms 38, David goes, I'm ready to halt. Where I'm at, my goodness, is a shell of where I used to be, and I want to get back there. I want to get back to the place where I was close with God again. I want to be restored. David says, I don't like it here anymore. It's too costly. I got on to my daughter about something the other day, and I'm doing better about not talking about you behind the pulpit, but I got on to her the other day about something. I made a big deal about it. Here's what I told her. I said, said, sweetheart, I says, it's not that big a deal in the world's eyes, but in mom and dad's eyes and the eyes of God, this is a big deal. And I says, I'm trying to make as bad a taste in your mouth as possible. You'll never want it again. You'll say, oh, no, no. You know, just, I, 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 don't, I don't want to go down that path. And now, can I tell you something as a Christian? It's the same way for us. We ought to have such a bad taste in our mouth that we're being away from God. It's costing us, costing our home, our family, our peace, our joy, our victory. We ought to throw our hands up this morning and say, I'm ready to halt. I'm done. I'm done. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of what it's costing me and my family. I'm tired of what it's costing me in my joy and my peace. I'm tired of it. Yesterday, I was at Ed's restaurant eating with my wife and daughter, and they have these uh, sweet potato casserole, sweet potato fries. They take sweet potato fries, and they put nuts and sauce, and then they melt, they melt uh, marshmallows on the top of them. And I'm just sitting there. And they even have something called bacon jam. I was eating that, too, at the same time. And I'm starting. To, at first, it was great. <laughs> just keep eating it, eating it, eating it. My wife eats two fries at a time, and I eat one at a time, so I have to go fast, you know. I mean, I'm getting there in a while, and I'm like, oh. I had bacon jam. Bacon jam is marvelous. If you don't know what it is, I think they're going to have it in heaven. Bacon jam, pimento and cheese, and my wife had the sweet potato fries. I'm sitting there eating that. And the lady come by the table, and she says, are you done? I said, nope. Whoa. Do you still see sweet potato fries on this plate? Leave it alone. Leave it alone. I didn't tell her that mean, but I was kind of that. That's how I felt in spirit. I kept eating and eating, and after a while, I'm just like, I felt horrible. I just felt horrible. The lady come by, and she says, can I take your plate? So you can have it. Take it. Get it out of my face. I don't want to see it anymore. I, you, ever, you ever get so full that if you look at it, if you even smell it one more time, you're going to be sick? That's where I was. I was done. I'm tired of the way those things made me feel. I said, get it away from me. And I turned away from the sweet potato fries. Let me ask you this question this morning. Are you sick of what's costing you, your relationship with God, enough yet? Or you're like, nope, I'm just going to keep going, act for another. Go ahead. Sooner or later, it'll make you so sick, and it's going to cost you so much. You're like David. You're going to throw your hands up and you're going to say, I'm ready to halt. But here's my question. What is it going to cost us in the meantime? What is it going to cost? Is it going to cost your marriage? You're going to cost your marriage. It's going to cost you your children. It's going to cost you your peace, your joy, your testimony. Look, it cost David four children. It cost David four children. It cost David the, the mud that they slung on the name of God. It cost David so much, cost him one of his best men. You read the word of God, you'll find out that God says that in all of David's life, that the one thing that God had against him was the matter of Uriah the Hittite. 
How long is it this morning that we're going to sit there and pig out on what's costing us our joy and what's costing us our peace and costing us our victory? All we have to do this morning is repent. I'm done. Done with it. And by the way, just as leaving God is a decision, leaving sin is a decision too. Just as you chose to leave God, he said, verse number four, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left. Just as you've left God, you can leave whatever's costing you your relationship with God this morning. You gotta choose to do it. You gotta say, I'm done. Take it away. Get it out of here. It's costing me too much and I don't like the way it makes me feel. Here's our problem. Second Corinthians 7, verse number 10. The Bible says, for godly sorrow worketh repentance. We don't like being sorry, do we? We don't like saying, I'm sorry, God, I was wrong. I've been out of your will, and it's called. We don't like sorrow. But the rest of 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this. But sorrow of the world worketh death. You see, this morning we all get to choose what we're going to be sorry about. You're going to be sorry because you left God. Are you worried about being sorry that you left the world? That's why we don't go back to God because we feel we're going, to be, we're going to miss out if we leave behind all the things this morning that we love so much that are costing us our joy. You're going to figure out this morning, what are you going to be sorry for? Just as leaving God is a decision and leaving sin is to last thing is, is verse 5 and I'm done. The road to restoration begins with realizing where you're at you realize where you're at by remembering where you were, that first love. Where are you at in comparison to that? And number three, we see in verse number five, he wants us to repent of what's brought us there. Turn from it. That's your decision. And then the last thing he says, repent and, what's the next little phrase? Do the first works or else I will come quickly, come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick. He follows up and he just tells them, do the first works. Number four, the last step on God's road to restoration is to return to where you belong. He says, do the first works. Here's what he's telling Ephesus. You know what to do. You know what to do. You know what to do. Return, do the first works. Ultimately, listen, the change of heart, the change of heart where we turn from sin has to be followed up by doing what God has told us to do. Ephesus knew what to do. They knew where they were supposed to be. God told them where they were supposed to be. He says, now it's up to you. Now, folks, here's my question. What has God, what has God made clear to you today? He says, I know thy works, okay? God does. We agree with that, correct? God knows where we're at. God's going to let us know because God's not a respecter of persons, Okay, he's going to let us know where we stand, just like he let Ephesus know where they stand. So if God's let us know where we stand this morning, the only thing left to do to have restoration is to do what we know. He says in verse 5, do the first works. Go do what you know that you need to do. One of my favorite scriptures is James chapter 4, verse 8. The Bible says, draw nigh unto God. Draw nigh unto God. It goes on to say, cleanse your hand, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Draw nigh unto God, and what does it say? He'll draw nigh unto you. You know what that is? That's restoration. But you notice in the middle of that restoration, there's the cleansing of your hands and the purifying of your heart. This morning, I don't know how God may have dealt with you. I, look, I, I don't know all of you well enough to know whether you might be where you need to be or not, but God knows. And God wants you to leave here with your relationship with him restored. If you're lost, he sent his son that your relationship with him could be restored. The question is, do you want that? It's a choice. 
If you're saved here this morning, look, God knows where you're at. Have you realized where you're at? God's going to let you know. If you realize where you're at, just compare it to where you used to be and then figure out what came between you and God. It's like the old commercial used to say, does it feel like there's something between you and God? And then it says, guess who moved? Guess who moved? Because thou, it was me, I was the one who chose to leave. Now, folks, I don't know where you're at this morning, but God wants to restore all of us. He wants to restore your relationship, your joy, your peace, your power. He wants to restore your marriage. The question is, will you choose? As he told Ephesus, he says, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. Watch the last part or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick. You know, one thing I've learned about restoration years ago, my wife and I, when she was expecting not long after I shot a hole in the ceiling, um, my wife and I decided we were going to get an old car and restore it for our daughter. And it was going to take us about 18 years to do it anyway, so why not start when she was expecting? And we kept stopping all these old cars and all these old cars and all these old cars. And we'd stop by every once in a while. We'd find one. It looks like it was in our price range. But, man, it was missing the motor. The Man, the, the floor pans had rusted out, and the frame was crooked. There's a tree growing up between the door of it, you know. And here's what they would say. Man, you don't want that. It's past restoring. It's past restoring. What a sad thought. It's just going to sit there and it's just going to melt into the ground. It's going to rust into the ground. It's past restoring. God tells the church at Ephesus, you can get past restoring. I'll come take your candlestick. God says, I'm going to make it known. I'm going to make it known. But you've got to choose to come back or you'll be past restoring. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let's stand together this morning.